the Irish Times business podcast in association with Irish Life. Eight of the top ten Irish companies choose to do business with us. We know Irish Life. We are Irish Life. Good day. Welcome to the Irish Times business podcast. I'm Arthur Beasley. Today we're discussing two sagas, the Greek debt emergency and, nearer home, the Poolbeg incinerator controversy. On Greece, I'm joined in studio by John McManus, Irish Times business editor. Suzanne Lynch, European correspondent, is on the line from Brussels. And Alan McQuaid, chief economist at Marion Capital, also joins us by phone. On Poolbeg, later, I'll be joined by Colm Keena, public affairs correspondent. But first, to Greece. It's another big week in Brussels as the deadline looms ever closer for Athens to make a 1.6 billion debt repayment to the IMF. Suzanne Lynch, there seems to be a never-ending succession of high-stakes meetings. So where exactly are we at now? Yes, well, this evening, Wednesday evening, uh, the Eurogroup of Finance Ministers meet in Brussels for their third such uh, emergency meeting in uh, less than a week. Um, Now, this lunchtime, uh, Alexis Tsipras has arrived in Brussels for meetings with uh, Jean-Claude Juncker, the head of the Commission, uh, Christine Lagarde, the IMF chief, and Mario Draghi, the ECB president. Uh, These talks haven't been expected, so it's a a sign that um, they're really trying to push an agreement uh, with Tsipras um, that some kind of a deal will be agreed and that can be put to finance ministers this evening. But already officials here are saying that finance ministers have been told they can sit all night if they have to, uh, but that this is not going to go on uh, until Thursday. It's not going to be brought into the overall summit of EU leaders to discuss. There will either be a deal agreed or there won't be uh, by tomorrow morning. So the pressure is really extraordinarily high at this point. The mm. deadline for repayment is next Tuesday. We've had a never-ending line of, uh, of these meetings and still the sense is that the deal is not quite there. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we still have a bit of time in that, as you say. You know, the the IMF repayment is not due till Tuesday. And uh, more importantly, arguably, the bailout uh, is not uh, finished until next Tuesday either. But really, it's the situation of the banks that's really the timeline here. Um, You know, the ECB has, as we know, been continuously uh, reviewing its emergency liquidity funding for the banks, um, and that's putting pressure on things. Um, In any event, if if some kind of agreement is reached uh, today into into tomorrow morning, um, the key issue will be whether Alexis Cyprus can sell that to his party and uh, to his public. And in any event, there will be some kind of a debate and vote in the Greek Parliament probably over the weekend. So already we've seen senior people in Syriza, but also in uh, the Jeter Coalition Party in government in Athens saying they want uh, certain measures and in particular the red line and, and the problem area is going to be this request for some signal on debt relief. You know, the from the beginning, uh, from their elections, Ritz have said that they want to write down on the Greek debt um, and they're going to be looking for some kind of signal on that today and there's no question that it will be, um, you know, committed to completely but maybe some kind of signal uh, from leaders that any kind of a third bailout will include some promise, at least, to look at the debt situation of Greece. Very good. Thank you, Suzanne. Alan McQuaid, the markets reckon that a, a deal is probable. You've said as much in, uh, in, your, in your monthly note on, uh, on the bond market. But you also say that the market is really underestimating the risk that would arise in the event that no deal is done or in the event that a deal is done and, and it collapses. Yeah, well, clearly from uh, market reaction in the last couple of weeks, there's certainly been a lot more volatility in terms of 
the interest rates or, or, or yields on, on the uh, so-called peripheral bonds, uh, like some Portuguese bonds, Spanish and Italian bonds, and including our own bonds as well, um, a lot more movement than we would have seen earlier on in the year. So I think that's re- reflective of a lot more concern that... Um, that the Greek situation, if it isn't sorted out, um, you know, isn't necessarily good news for, for Europe. Now, you could argue in the long run that um, Greece leaving the euro, you know, might be better for the for, for Europe as a whole. But certainly, if, if there was to be a default by Greece um, and them leaving the, the, the euro, uh, Greg's as, as, as the chamber that the markets use, um, it would raise questions, I'm sure, in, in some quarters as to whether I mean, the monetary union still exists I mean, if one member can, can leave, um, then the question will be asked that if there's another crisis down the road, then why can't other members leave? So I think that then will, will, will be reflected in the interest rates or bond yields that investors will look to to get from from countries at risk uh, going forward. Alan, do, do you reckon with all of that in mind that there has been something of a, a reappraisal of the situation in, in the last couple of weeks as these talks really come down, come up to a head? Because it seems to me there's been an undercurrent in discourse around Greece for many, many months now that the country could in fact leave the Eurozone and that everyone else would be all right. Yeah, well, I think what's, what, what's happened, Arthur, I think, I mean, I think, you know, if you look at, go back to 2012 and the, and the famous uh, Mario Draghi speech, you know, we, we'll do what it takes to save the euro. And I think the, the market has, has bought into that. And uh, clearly that's been, you know, boosted again this year with the uh, implementation of this quantitative easing program where the, the, the ECB is buying bonds. 60 billion of bonds every month um, to keep the, you know, to keep bond yields down and to keep the, 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 the euro propped up or, or to keep the eurozone economy going to, to, to some degree. So I think the market is just assumed that oh, well, when push comes to shove, you know, the, the, you know, the authorities will come in and, and save the day. Um, but I think clearly with the, the comments we've been getting out in, in the last few weeks, and it has to be said, the, you know, the, it's very really difficult to, to, to gauge what, what actually is going on because you're getting conflicting comments on a daily basis from, from both sides. Um, I think that, that, has, that hasn't helped, particularly when, as you mentioned already, that the deadline is fast approaching in terms of IMF payments due and the, the expiry of the, of the second, uh, the, the, the current bailout. So I think the markets are getting more nervous. Um, Clearly, if no deal is agreed um, today or tomorrow, uh, and no money is forthcoming to the IMF next Tuesday, um, well, then questions will be asked as to where we go from here. Uh, my, my understanding is that even if the IMF is not paid, that doesn't automatically, automatically mean be, that Greece will be chucked out of the euro. But then the focus, I think, will, will, will turn to an ECB payment due on the, uh, the, the 20th of July. Um, which That's right, Alan. As I understand, mm-hmm. that that payment due to the ECB on, on July 20th is $3.5 billion, and then there's another payment of $3.2 billion due to the ECB exactly one month later on August the 20th. John McManus, yeah, so I think that, that, that $3 billion, that, that 20, 20th of July deadline, and clearly, as Suzanne's already mentioned, that the whole this emergency liquidity assistance that the central bank is pumping into the Greek banks well, certainly, I mean, you know, they couldn't do that. I mean, if if if, if Greece um, couldn't make a payment to the ECB, well, then, you know, they, I mean, the, you know, the ELA would effectively come to an end, and then I think the game would be up. So I think even if we get past, even if nothing is agreed this weekend, and and and, 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 and you know, there's still question marks. 
I can't see it going beyond July the 20th anyway, you know, unless some money's paid over. Because if it's not paid over by then to the ECB, I think, you know, you know, I think we've got end game, and end game will probably mean that uh, Greece leaving the euro. And then from that point, then you've got to question as how, how markets will react. My own good feeling is that markets will, certainly in the short term, will be very volatile, and you will see interest rates and bond yields rise. Very interesting. John McManus, what do you make of all of this? Well, I think we're we're approaching the end game, but we're not quite there. I mean, I think as as Alan was saying there, there's you know there's these uh, trigger points: the IMF repayment, the ECB repayment. They're technically uh, people are already starting to say they're technically not defaults. So um, it, you know the 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 show can go on, uh, and there's almost a case of we're needing we're almost trying to use today's crisis to solve the crisis. In that, uh, if if people buy into the fact that this is uh, a crisis point, then maybe Cyprus will be able to use that to sell whatever deal he does, which will be unpalatable, back to his own people. Because uh, the the I don't think the ECB is going to pull the plug on this as long as there is some sort of hope of a political solution that gives them cover to keep on propping up the Greek banks. Uh, they've come to a very tricky point when their own loans start stop being repaid towards the end of uh, next month, but. You know, you could still, if there was some hope of a political solution, because it's not as if everyone's just going to walk away today if there's no uh, resolution, they perhaps could. So it's almost in everybody's interest, including the Greeks now, to say that today is the crunch point and let's do a deal today and then Cyprus can take it back to Athens and try and sell it to, to his own people. And it's also the case, John, that uh, the ECB has been reviewing daily the amount of emergency liquidity assistance going into the Greek banks because the Greek people are taking the money from the banks. Yeah, but I think that's everybody doing exactly what everybody expects other people to do. And, uh, you know, I think, OK, the markets can get things spectacularly wrong. But I think, as Alan was saying, you don't get any sense that, that anybody thinks the ECB is going to, to pull the plug quickly. And, and in a way... You know, Draghi has to honour his commitment to do everything possible to to keep the, ECU, the 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 euro intact, and that means he doesn't want to be the guy who, in the end, pulls the plug on all of this. Suzanne Lynch, what's the atmosphere in Brussels today ahead of this uh, very important meeting of eurozone finance ministers? We had stalemate for many many weeks. We had a a, a call from Christine Lagarde of the IMF uh, a number of days ago for a, an engagement between adults. The implication being that we haven't really had a grown up in, a, engagement uh, for quite some time. How is it looking right now? Yeah, I mean it's undoubtedly very tense. The atmosphere here. Um, there's a sense of a huge amount on the agenda this week in Brussels anyway. For example, David Cameron is arriving tomorrow um, and Brexit will be top of the agenda and people really want to kind of deal with this issue decisively this week one way or the other. But we mentioned, you know, the IMF repayments, the ECB repayments. We do have to remember that the other part of this is, is the Eurozone member states who are by far the biggest um, official creditors in this bailout and they stand to lose tens of billions of euros uh, collectively if Greece was to default. So you're talking about about 19 countries um, and I mean Michael Noonan has uh, got a lot of publicity about taking a hard uh, line on this but I think it's, it's pretty much shared across the board we're seeing countries particularly in Eastern Europe countries like Slovakia who are arguing very strongly that there shouldn't be further debt concessions for Greece and they quote their own GDP figures as much lower than Greece and their own retirement uh, age uh, much higher and they think it's unfair um, to give any further treatment to Greece so we do have to keep in mind this very political um, context here. So the Eurozone finance ministers when they gathered tonight are in no mood uh, for more chat and more small talk. Um, they are they want to get this done. 
Um, and it is going to still think the issue is going to be about a debt relief for Greece, whether um, there's some kind of language. And as we know, um, the EU's greatest fudge and sometimes um, an extra adjective can make all the difference. But they're going to have to try and move some way to suggest that they could perhaps uh, count on some kind of debt relief in the future. Perhaps or a else retrospective recapitalisation. Yes, well, it, it, exactly, John. It might. It's going to re, you know, start some some unhealthy debates for, for us in Ireland. Um, I mean, it's, it's the classic. Uh, we're the classic case that if if there's some promise of debt relief for Greece, where does that leave Ireland? Um, Ireland, of course, has promised uh, debt relief or to look at debt relief for its banks through the ESM uh, recapitalisation fund. Exactly three years ago, indeed. Mm. Uh, yeah, exactly. So, I mean, uh, so it's, uh, of course it's not surprising someone might, like Michael Noonan um, and other Eurozone finance managers are going to be against this. Um, so I do think that if, if that debate starts this evening, that could get very serious and could have huge uh, ramifications politically. And you could see the Eurozone finance managers digging their heels on this, on, on this uh, and they could be the people who ultimately make or break a deal over the next few days. You can't help feeling that the political imperative is to, is to save the Europe and save the euro. And even if you were one of these countries that might object to the special treatment Greece mm. is getting, you know, why, mm. would you, why, would you, you, why would you aspire to join a euro, that uh, a common currency that people can be kicked out of? Because, you know, if you're one of the smaller countries going in, then you become the target. Uh, uh, yeah, that's true. But, I mean, we're back to this issue of, you know, will they do anything to keep the euro intact? I think there's genuinely people here now saying, you know, we need to, you know, that a Grexit maybe should be countenanced, and Wolfgang Schäuble is one of those people, that there's a fear that, okay, even if we get past this in the next couple of days, we're still into a third bailout discussion, we're still into months, if not years, of more uncertainty, um, and people are beginning to say, you know, well, is this working? Maybe it is the time. But you're you're, you're into that anyway, whether Greece stays in or not, aren't you? I mean, there's ECB still on the hook for 118 billion, whether Greece is in the euro or not, and yeah, it's not as if Europe can just walk away from its obligations to Greece uh, you know, you, it, it's a, it's a, you know, the, what's Martin Wolf's quote that the divorce will be um, mm. even less palatable than the marriage. Yeah, I mean, whatever way it, you're, you're right in that it, it doesn't end end well for anyone. I mean, we do have to say though, in terms of the from the Greek perspective, um, you know, not to, to kind of fly the other flag on this, but you know, they, they, you know, their loans are at very low interest rates, for example. You know, they've got some advantages from being in this as well. Um, if they were to go out on their own, the markets they wouldn't be able to raise the money, and be you know, the levels of interest rates would be huge. So, I mean, there's all these uh, debates coming into play, but I do think you know that that you know analogy of the marriage is a very good one. Um, but it, it's undoubtedly an unhappy marriage. Um, but really, no matter what happens to Greece, I think it's really undermined the cohesion of the Euro project. And ironically, this week, um, the Eurozone leaders are due to uh, discuss this report about further European Economic and Monetary Union. And it just seems, you know, terribly ironic. Uh, Juncker this week talked about, um, you know, the euro having protected the people of Europe and being a very positive thing. So obviously the disconnect between that, that vision that people are still trying to push of eurozone integration and the reality of what's happening in Greece is, you know, it's a sorry state of affairs really for everyone involved. But just that the fear is, no matter what happens, that we're only really at, um, you know, a juncture here. This is undoubtedly going to keep going over the next month, a uh, few months and years, no matter what happens this, this week. Alan McQuaid, what would the divorce in this instance mean for those of us in Ireland who are standing on the sidelines observing it all? Well, I mean, you, you know, it goes back to the point. I mean, whether you believe it's good or bad, I mean, um, 
Um, will the euro survive the long run? That, that's the question I have to ask. I mean, if, if one country can bail out, then anybody can bail out down down, down the line. Uh, you know, you, you could argue, and some would argue that Ireland would, would, would benefit more if we were outside than inside. And clearly, there's a lot of issues for Ireland going forward. I mean, Suzanne's already mentioned about the whole Brexit issue. Clearly, if if the if, if UK was to leave the EU, um, that would have ramifications for us as well. So, I think the the the, the immediate uh, impact on us will be, you know, whether um, interest rates rise in terms of our, our, our bond yields and whether our debt servicing costs go up. Um, you'd imagine, as I said, certainly in the short term, uh, that yields will rise um, on the uncertainty. Uh, but then, and that, and that you know, Alan would but, have an impact on the bottom line because the Irish state is still borrowing. Yeah, the Irish state is still borrowing, and as Suzanne already mentioned as well about the the, the, the loss of uh, money paid into Greece. So, I mean, I think our our, our liability, I think, is something like five hundred million million or something. So, you know, that's the that's the gain we've made this year on re- on revenue. So, I suppose in some ways you could argue that the gain we've made on tax receipts so far this year would be wiped out. But it's five hundred million might not sound a lot in the, in the general scheme of things in terms of the monies that are mentioned in terms of you know bond markets and and you know. The, the, Debt payments, etc. But in 500 million, in terms of what what we've done, either in terms of tax relief for for hard pressed uh, workers, or in terms of spending uh, extra spending on hospitals or schools, it, it, it is quite a lot. So um, you know that that that's that, that's the downside to it. Uh, but I take Suzanne's point. I mean, clearly. This thing has dragged on for, for for too long now, and you know you'd have to ask even if if the solution is is is, is 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 you know agreed on over the next few days, um you know you know is Greece going to be going to be solvent going forward? Uh, I would argue not, and I can clearly understand from their point of view they need a debt round and they need a debt write down and a significant debt write down if they're if they're going to uh, survive within the euro uh, going forward. John McManus, will there be a deal? I I think so. I think that the history of uh, Europe. Of this crisis, which you know very well, Arthur, is uh, you know too little at the very last minute is the way it's done, and there'll be something to get Greece through the summer, and then there'll have to be another another bailout. And I think he was saying earlier there'll probably be an election at some stage if 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 this if Cyprus has to rely on people outside his party to get the deal through. Suzanne Lynch, will there be a deal? Um, I probably would agree on jo- with John on that one, but I do, I do think the damage it's done um, to the whole Euro project and you know, the bitterness that's intensifying day by day, if you like, here between Greece and and the other creditors, a huge amount of spin and and um, reportage, and you know, people are rightly very sympathetic for Greece, towards the Greek people, and um, I just think it's. You know, for it's a yet another kind of indictment of of the euro area project, and uh, no matter what happens, I think that da- you know the damage is done in a sense on relations between uh, Greek people and the whole idea of Europe. They feel let down, humiliated, and um, that's going to be the legacy of this, uh, as well as as any financial costs for for anyone. Suzanne Lynch in Brussels, thank you very much, and thank you also to John McManus and to Alan McQuaid. At Irish Life, we can tell you that 49% of employees in Ireland don't think about tomorrow. They don't have a pension plan. We can help you help them. Because if you're involved in running your company's pension plan, we can administer it for you. With our member-specific investment solutions, online access for employers, trustees and members, and always on smartphone apps. Just call one of our corporate team on 01704-1845. Visit irishlifecorporatebusiness.ie or contact your pension consultant to find out how we can help your company think of tomorrow. We know Irish Life. We are Irish Life. 
Irish Life Assurance PLC is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. All information sourced for Irish Life September 2014. Now, the story of the Poolbeg incinerator stretches back to 1999 when the site was first identified by councillors. Sixteen years later, work is finally underway after prolonged planning controversy. In the Irish Times this week, however, Colm Keena reports on financial arrangements in Luxembourg to part fund this vast 600 million project. Colm is here, as is John McManus, business editor. Colm, what's it all about? Well, um, this incinerator is a is a huge part of the waste infrastructure for not just Dublin, but the whole um, Leinster region. And it uh, is designed to uh, transform a huge amount of waste into energy, uh, enough energy to service 80,000 homes. And it's also designed to um, allow us meet European targets uh, for for landfill at the moment, where we where we we have to uh, export waste to 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 uh, achieve those uh, thresholds for landfill. And we'll see about nine trucks an hour when it's up up and running in 2018, nine trucks an hour uh, driving into this uh, plant in Poolbeg. However, it's a, it's a PPP by the four Dublin lo- local authorities, a public-private uh, partnership between the four Dublin uh, authorities, local authorities, and an American group called Covanta, who are based in New Jersey. And um, so what we were reporting on today is that uh, the the having encountered a lot of difficulties along the way. It was finally agreed to go ahead with this project. Um, it's a, a 500 million development, the construction of the, the incinerator. After um, expenditure already of, of 100, 100 million, million by the local authority. Exactly. And um, so it was decided in September that, OK, we, 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 we've reached the green light in terms of go ahead. And, um, and then at that time, a, a company was established in Luxembourg and it... Um, Agreed what it called a stakeholder loan with um, with one of the American Irish subsidiaries that have been set up here to fund uh, to, to contribute money towards the project. How does this work in practice? Well, there's not a whole lot of it's a note to the accounts of this Luxembourg company, and it, it happened at the after year end. So it's just a note to the account saying that the stakeholder loan has been agreed to 75 million uh, euros. They're available to be drawn down. And um, the interest rate is 13.5%. That's so 1.3.5. Yeah, it's a very high uh, interest rate. And um, we don't have too much detail from behind that, but obviously an interest rate, rate like that would reduce the profitability of the company here in Ireland, which is um, receiving that, that loan. And um, and uh, we've seen before from the LuxLeaks uh, project that these sort of arrangements, they're companies that are set up in Luxembourg, have no employees, take stakes in companies and, and also issue loans to those companies. And, um, you know, good tax accountants can set them up so that even though you're reducing your profits in Ireland, you're not uh, creating taxable profits in Luxembourg, you know, to, to mirror those. So it's considered to be a profit, what's called a profit shifting uh, exercise. John McManus, an interest rate of 13.5%. These are the kind of interest rates that one hears about from uh, older colleagues who uh, report back from the very penal interest rates they paid in their mortgages back in the 1970s and 1980s. Huge figure. It certainly doesn't sound like a a, a straight commercial... um Rate so as as Colm's saying it it certainly would have all the hallmarks of one of of something that allowed um, profits to be accumulated in a low tax jurisdiction. 
and you're sort of back really aren't you into this area it's completely legal of course that's where that has to be stressed and you're back into this whole conundrum of just because something's legal is it ethical and and i think the 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 paradox here is that Covanta has an arrangement, if you like, where its 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 profitability is effectively underwritten by the uh, county councils that are its partners. If they don't deliver enough waste for it to make profits, then they have to to cough up some um, uh, make up the difference. And of course, any money that they would be using to make up the difference comes out of ultimately uh, Irish taxation, which Covanta are, would appear to be doing their level best to minimise contribu- contributing to. So the sense of it here is that this arrangement serves to reduce the amount of tax that this particular business would pay into the Irish exchequer. Uh, the tax liability uh, at a lower level falls uh, into the Luxembourg company, and the uh, company here is at a particular advantage, even though it's being supported by the local authorities of Dublin. Yes, that would, and who are ultimately funded by the taxpayer. And in fact, uh, I, I've since discovered uh, Covanta Energy Ireland, which is the company in Ireland that holds Covanta's interest in, in this whole project, is itself owned via a company in Luxembourg, which supplies uh, Covanta with uh, investment monies. So the, whole, the, the entire investment, as well as the loans, are coming uh, through um, through Luxembourg and um, I don't have the details on, 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 on the repayments there but it certainly is the kind of structure that would be very uh, open to uh, aggressive tax planning. Colm, what is the company itself saying? Well the company is saying very little other than that the, the funding company in Luxembourg is not part of the group that's been established by the uh, by Covanta and the four local authorities it is what it calls a, a funder to one of the group but its existence is integral to the uh, well, operation. It certainly has this effect of sending money back to Luxembourg because of the 13.5%. And now we know that Covanta Energy here in Ireland itself is owned by a Luxembourg company. So there seems to be two routes, go- two roads going back to Luxembourg. And what are the local authorities of Dublin saying? Well, they're saying exactly the same as the company that uh, that this, this is a funder. It's not a part of the group they've formed with Covanta, the, the Luxembourg company. And that's that's the end of what they're saying. Is it fair to say that these arrangements were, were put in place before the big LuxLeaks disclosure cast light on what exactly has been going on in the financial centre that is Luxembourg for many, many years? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. And um, the... The, the LuxLeaks thing came at the end of the year and these, these were set in place well before September of last year which was when the green light was turned on for this project but um, before that they'd set up the structures, the corporate structures involving Luxembourgers. Uh, of course lots, we now know that lots of Irish multinationals and multinationals over the planet they're all using Luxembourg as a way of their uh, international tax plan- planning and going back to the point we made in the earlier item uh, you know, this is an issue of European solidarity and, and European lack of solidarity. And the, the interesting aspect of it is that Jean-Claude Juncker, who's trying to sort the mess out at the moment, was himself running Luxembourg when they were creating these sort of uh, the opportunity for the, these sort of structures. He was indeed prime minister of Luxembourg yeah. for the best part of two decades. Yeah, and finance minister before that. That's right. So, so it's, it's this tension that's there all the time between you know, tax competition between jurisdictions and uh, the idea of European solidarity and I suppose the notion of, you know, swimming together or sinking separately or whatever, you know. 
Sean McManus, mm. what's your reflection on the whole the, the Lux Leaks situation now? Well, I think, uh, uh, no, I should point out, we won, the Irish Times won a prize for our contribution towards uh, the Lux Leaks investigations only uh, two weeks ago, but uh, we'll take a bow. <laughs> but um, I, I, I would be a little cynical as to what will happen. I mean, okay, it's now become toxic, perhaps, to say that you use your, you're using Luxembourg for your international tax planning. But at the same time, as long as those uh, and Luxembourg has said it has done a lot to clean up its act, but because we don't really know what its act was, we can't judge that too well. But uh, these things go on, and and there's a sort of a paradox here, isn't there? You can see how it's it's tricky for a uh, state-owned organisations to to get into bed with a company that's using one of these things. But where do you draw the line? We're happy enough to have uh, multinationals come and invest here that are using Luxembourg and Cayman Island structures. So the, the whole the, 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 you can there's sort of we've talked about this before. I mean, there's a general shift towards people thinking these things aren't acceptable, and you see you can see this sort of filtering through politically, but. Uh, where what sort of progress is going to be made in the next year or two? I don't know. I don't know, Colin. What do you? Well, I certainly not. I think there seems to be, there's a lot of talk, and committees, and inquiries going on about all of this sort of stuff. And meanwhile, the the transactions proceed as they always did. Perhaps with even great. And Luxembourg. Now, now that we know about it, it, seems to pop up everywhere. It popped up uh, last week with the takeover of the Cleary's building and the closing down of Cleary's. Some of the funding of that comes through comes through Luxembourg. So. You, so you have a situation where people can work for a company on for 40 years and then find themselves out in the, out in the rear and, you know, unbeknownst to them, the, the building they were in belongs to some other company and there's funding coming from Luxembourg so the people involved don't are, are avoiding corporation tax. Well, your your rights to, to redundancy payments and so on seem to have disappeared. So I think it's, you know, it's a big issue for society. People can get very bitter and it can have um, political ramifications. And we do have in the background, however, we do have the OECD BEPS initiative. Yeah, well, again, you're, you're in this you're in this big conundrum where people are competing for the attention uh, for for business, and uh, and and dealing with an, uh, electorates that are annoyed. I was over at one of those uh, BEPS conferences, and I mean, at the head of the table, you have a guy from the U.S. Treasury, and everybody's everybody's given out about these companies not paying their taxes but they're mostly American tax companies they're making all this money and uh, so you want you know it's, it's, a, it's quite a, an interesting uh, many layered um, um, problem and you know Ireland can give out about unfairness here unfairness there and yet have all these all this employment uh, and economic activity in our country because of it yeah, and we, we, it's also the case of the OECD is to produce its final proposals to uh, overhaul the global system of business taxation in October. These proposals are supposed to stamp out all of this uh, very aggressive kind of tax planning. And mm-hmm. yet, I, I mean, I've reported myself that in the last couple of weeks that the two main relevant committees in the U.S. Congress, controlled by the Republican Party. Uh, are, have signaled their opposition and questions are now raised as to whether the US government will be able to implement any of the BEPS proposals. Yeah, it, it, without, I think that's where it's going to, that, that will be the, the crux of it really when um, governments come to implement these things into domestic law, what sort of pressure, the political pressure there is fr- from the electorate to, 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 to see it to see it done you get a sense in, in Europe certainly not so much here but in other countries in Europe there'd be quite a lot of pressure to be seen to do something but um, yeah, America it doesn't look like an argument that will 
and too much popular support in America. Mm-hmm. Not, notwithstanding the very public participation of Barack Obama at the time, at that big G20 meeting in Enniskillen only a couple of years ago, in which they gave the green light for the OECD to go off and do its work. That's right. I mean, if they end up doing nothing, then, the, you know, you'll be at a G20 press conference in a year and a half's time and, and people will say, you know, you achieved nothing and it, it won't look very good and you would, would have thought that people set these things in motion having already decided that something's going to happen at the other end because otherwise you, you look a bit silly. The, the, when I was over at the uh, the conference in, in Paris, the OECD one, I thought an interesting idea that was com- seemed to be emerging from the discussion is that one way to cure the problem is to have a lot of VAT collected, you know, so all these companies are doing business here, there, and everywhere. And you're, you're paying, I'm, we're more talking about consumer mm. companies now, but um, you know, like the Googles and the, the Apples and so on of this world. And uh, you pay loads of VAT in your in, in each in each market, you know. But of course, that's the punter paying the tax, that's not the, the, but the, not the, the corporation yes. paying the tax. But that seemed to be the way the debate was going. But but VAT is a tax mm. on sales. Yeah, VAT, exactly, VAT is not yeah. a tax on the profit made yeah, by yeah, the yeah, company. Yeah, yeah. No, I agree with you. I agree with you. Yeah, but they were, you know, as against, you know, that. Yeah, but that that seems to be one of the ways they were struggling with it. I mean, it's a tricky problem with um, with the internet and so on, and a lot of these. Uh, a lot of products that are services involving IP and and so on. But um, it'll be interesting to see what solution if com- com- they arrive at. But there must be some, uh, they'd have to have something to show at the end of the process, I think. Uh, Pascal Saint-Amand, who is the uh, OECD official in, in charge of the project, he says that the project is already working in as much as you have had unilateral action by some companies to change the way they do business in light of the exposure of their practices. Yeah, but if you look at Ireland, we've said we'll, we'll close down our, our double Irish, I think, in 2020. Um, so nobody's lost out any money <laughs> yet. And we wait till 2020 to see what happens then, I suppose. But um, so that's a, there might be a first, first mover disadvantage in these things, which is always a, a problem. And so part of the OECD plan is you'll come up with this template that people can all buy into in around the same time. And then there might be some pressure on, on people. I suppose use Europe, Europe could coordinate uh, the implementation of certain ideas. Um, but it's a tricky thing. There's a lot of moving parts, so um, it, it'll be interesting to watch. But something should come out of it or it'll look a bit odd. John McManus, who would have thought that the pool bag controversy ongoing for a decade and a half would lead ultimately to uh, someone's tax office in Luxembourg? Indeed, but I suppose in hindsight, why are we surprised? <laughs> there it is. John McManus, business editor of the Irish Times and Colm Keener, public affairs correspondent, thank you very much. You've been listening to the Irish Times Business Podcast. I'm Arthur Beasley. Thank you indeed.